Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are exploring the ninth chapter of Melachim Bet. As we know, towards the end of Eliyahu Hanavi's life, Hashem gives him three mandates. The first was to appoint Elisha as his successor, and that he does personally. The second two mandates are not accomplished by Eliyahu, but through Elisha. Namely, to anoint Chazael as the new king of Aram, and in that capacity, he's going to punish. He's going to be the vehicle through which Hashem punishes the northern kingdom. And finally, to anoint Yehu as the king of the northern kingdom to remove the leadership of the northern kingdom and to punish the, uh, the monarchic dynasty of Ahav. And it's to that task that Elisha turns his attention in this parak. He sends a messenger to Yehu, who is a senior general in the army, who is together at this time meeting with other high-ranking military officials. And the messenger tells Yehu that he needs to speak with him in private. And so the two of them go off, and he tells Yehu that Yehu is going to be king. And he anoints him as such. And then he tells him that he has the mandate to punish the current king, to punish the house of Ahav. After the Navi leaves, we get our first glimpse of who this Yehu really is. He walks back into, his, uh, into this meeting with all of his friends. This, I should say it's, it's not a very flattering picture, in my opinion. He walks into this meeting with the rest of his friends, and the friends say to him, his colleagues say to him, what did that crazy man want with you? So that his friends, you already see, are very disparaging of the prophet, and Yehu is not there to defend him. He says, oh, you know, you know how these guys are. That's essentially what he says. So he kind of avoids the question. He doesn't, he doesn't reveal what he was told. He conceals it. Uh, but he also doesn't kind of protect the, the, the dignity of this, of this messenger of the prophet, who himself is a, some sort of prophet. Um, he just kind of goes along with the crowd. And then the officers push him. and They say, no, tell us. Tell us what crazy lies he had to say. And then Yehu reluctantly tells him, you know, maybe a bit dismissively, he says, he said, I'm going to be the king. And he anointed me. And then surprisingly, things turn, right? Because you would imagine that if the, the friends had laughed, like you would expect that the friends would completely disregard this and laugh this off, and then Yehu would have followed suit. But instead, his friends take this very seriously. They're not the least bit dismissive of this news, and they immediately start treating him as a king, and that's how this coup kind of takes form. That is, uh, is now what, what drives Yehu to now actually follow through on what the Navi had told him. So if we, we pause here and just try to assess what this tells us about Yehu, it's very clear that we're not dealing with someone who is uh, very pious and, and, and was prepared from, from the minute one to listen to the message of Elisha and his messenger. He's clearly someone who's, who is surrounded with and is a peer with, with these people who are dismissive of the Navi. And much to our surprise, once they find out that the message, once these friends find out that the message was that Yehu is king, they're very quick to then suddenly start attaching real significance to the word of the Navi. And so one way to explain that, at least to some degree, is that it's clear that these generals were kind of ready for a coup, which is to say they weren't so devoted to the leadership. So even though they were dismissive of what the Navi had to say, Perhaps they were dismissive when it was self-defensive. Perhaps they were dismissive when they assumed that the Navi was always going to be coming, coming to chastise them. But once the Navi was prepared to tell them something that, they, that aligned with their interest, so suddenly they were ready to get on board with that. And presumably, presumably we could say the same thing for Yehu. I think that's kind of this very complex and, and not, as I said, not flattering image that we get of how Yehu responds 
to this message uh, from Elisha. So now the coup is underway. Yehu, together with his entourage, head to Jezreel, uh, where King Yehoram is recuperating. He had been uh, he had been injured. Uh, in a uh, an altercation, in a run-in with Aram, in a battle with Aram. He was there in, in Jezreel recuperating, and he was actually being visited, uh, quite touchingly, by the, uh, the king of the south, by Ahaziahu, who, as I will remind you, uh, was leading the south astray. He was, was a, a bad king of Yehuda. As Yehu approaches these two kings, Yehoram sends out uh, messengers to go and assess if he has come in peace, he does not respond in the affirmative, but there's obviously some ambiguity here. He's obviously not taken to be an, a, a terrible threat. So Yehoram and Ahaziahu, these two kings, actually go out to greet him and to, to go, go out and to assess uh, what the nature of his visit is. And uh, in this exchange, he ends up killing them both. Yehu kills both the king of the northern kingdom as well as Yehuda of the southern kingdom. Of course, as a matter of great poetic justice, Yehoram, uh, the living heir of Ahav's dynasty, is actually killed and unceremoniously abandoned, where, of all places, in the field of Navot, the very place where Ahav, together with his still-living, I'll note, and very wicked wife, Izevel, conspired, uh, to, right, this was the field that they had conspired to attain through a terrible perversion of justice by framing an innocent man just to uh, acquire this uh, parcel of land. So both the kings of the north and the south are killed. As I said, this poetic justice of Yehoram being uh, killed in the field of Navot. And then Yehu turns his attention to Izevel. And here we get one of the most cinematic moments in Tanakh. I'm not sure how else to describe it. It's just, it's so powerfully rendered. It's, uh, it's just so rich. So Yehu approaches Izevel's home, wherever she is. She's in the she's in uh, she's in the Jezreel as well. Let's say she's uh, she's up on the top floor of a, of some sort of palace, some sort of royal uh, living quarters, and she sees that Yehu is approaching. And at this time, she already knows that uh, he had killed uh, he had killed the other members of the royal family, and she knows what fate awaits her. She knows that she's coming to uh, that he is coming to kill her, but the text describes that she sits there calmly, putting on her makeup and doing her hair. Just just that scene alone—it's priceless. This wicked, terrible, vindictive woman who knows she's about to die, sitting and fussing with her lashes—it's just this excellent expression of who she was. This brazen individual to the end, to the last moment. And then Yehu approaches and she calls down from her window. As I said, she's up on an elevated level. She calls down and she says, do you come in peace, O Zimri, murderer of his master? Referencing the very short-lived kingship of Zimri, who indeed assassinated the previous king uh, in order to seize the throne for all of seven days. So she's, she's taunting him and she's, she's mocking him. She is defiant and bold and strong to the very end. And then Yehu tells her servants to join him and to, uh, to join this coup and to kill Izevel. And indeed, the servants that are with her in her quarters pick her up and they toss her out of the window to her death. The Pasuk describes how her blood splattered as she hit the ground. It's a very graphic moment meant to kind of deliver to us this feeling of justice for this incredibly wicked individual, this incredibly wicked queen 
who had a terribly deleterious effect on the entire nation. We're also told, reflecting now back on Yehu, that after this very gruesome death, Yehu feasts. Yehu, Yehu has a party. And it's this kind of blunt transition from violence to feasting uh, that's meant to sit very uncomfortably with us as the reader. And it's meant to reflect uh, a kind of barbarism, uh, a violence, uh, which we're going to see as being a hallmark of Yehu's rule. Right? He murders someone in one moment, very graphic. In, we're told about it in gra- very graphic detail. And, uh, and then a moment later, he's ready to eat. Right? So it's this terrible shift. Of course, as, as we know, there's divine sanction for, the, uh, for, for killing Izabel and killing the whole house of Achav, but at the same time, there's a discomfort with the way in which Yehu delivers that justice. And then the parak ends uh, by telling us that Yehu does something that's, that's pretty you know, uh, commendable. He instructs his men to bury Izevel because she was royalty, and it's not respectful to have royalty just languish uh, out in, in, in the open. But the men inform him that there is no, they went to go bury her, but they found nothing left of her but the bones of her skull, hands, and feet, because she had been entirely devoured by dogs. Indeed, this is an inglorious end to a very wicked woman, and an end that we should note was precisely foretold by the Navi Eliyahu. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.